Over the past three weeks, we have been examining the following questions. Week one, we examined science versus faith. We've seen that Christianity is not in opposition to science, but indeed, um, faith informs our science, our understanding of the orderly nature of our universe. Next, we asked the question, does God exist? Does He indeed exist? And we saw that it is more rational to believe that there is a God. And last week, we kind of honed in on the question, can we trust the Bible? Can we trust the Bible? And as we looked at that, we found that the Bible is consistent and reliable, and it gives us a coherent narrative, a narrative of what God is doing in the person of Jesus Christ in human history. And so as we look at those questions, we're going to continue in this series two more weeks at least, maybe a third. Uh, And uh, we're going today to deal with this question, is Jesus a myth? Let's bow and pray and ask God to help us understand. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your grace, you've brought us all here today. There are many other things we could be doing, many other places we could be, but you've appointed this for us today. And so, our God, as we look at this subject, as we interact with history and indeed your word, I pray that you would give understanding by the Holy Spirit, that we might see who you are, what you're doing in this world, and we may see who Jesus really is. Thank you for our time. Would you be with us as we look at you. In Christ and I pray. Amen. Maybe you've heard, overheard a conversation, or maybe you've watched a video, or maybe you yourself have come to the conclusion that Jesus is a myth. See, our series, we've been addressing not only those who believe in Jesus, but also those who might proudly call themselves a skeptic, one who must examine and question everything, and you've come to this question of Jesus, and you've not made a determination. In fact, probably more likely, if you're a skeptic, you lean the other way, that he really didn't exist. And if you go online, there is a host of videos, and there's also a host of books that would say that Jesus is a myth. Or maybe today, you're in the group of people who believe that Jesus lived, that he was a good man, maybe he taught good things, but now you just can't quite come to that... uh, that decision that Jesus himself was God. And today, uh, by God's grace, I want to, to help understand this concept of who Jesus is, to address the question that is, I'd say, pervasive in our society, that Jesus indeed was not truly God, but indeed was a myth and, and maybe not even existed. Now, we've seen in history this reaction to Jesus. In fact, we've seen it in our own history. Maybe you know of Thomas Jefferson. He had thoughts similar of this, and he decided to cut up the New Testament that, uh, that take out all the parts and mention the miracles of Jesus and any reference to his deity. And so he left only the, the feel-good message of love thy neighbor. And he believed that Jesus was a good teacher. Uh, we might qualify or categorize him as a deist, but... God, no. Essentially, Jefferson remade Jesus in his own image. 
a good man, but not God. You know, many religions around the world revere Jesus as a good man. The Buddhists, they revere him as a very wise man. Uh, In Islam, Jesus is a great prophet, Isa. And some Jews would consider Jesus a knowledgeable rabbi but, or an infamous rabbi, but certainly not say that he was the Messiah. Never that he would be God. Even some modern-day religious leaders who might call themselves Christians have come to deny that Jesus is God. That he was merely like every other religion, just someone to follow who had, a, had great teaching and would give you a moral life, a life of purpose and a life of meaning and of goodwill toward everyone else. So what does one believe? How do you know, how do you determine what is truth in regards to Jesus? This morning, my goal is to help clear up the mystery around Jesus. Now, in only 35 or so minutes... I'll not to be able to clear up every question. But I want you to know that there are resources. If you go to the bottom of our website, there's, in the footer there's a resource tab, in the top of that tab. You click on that, in the top of that page, uh, there are resources, and I'll be continuing to, to update that as I go through each, each week. But I want this morning to present evidence. Number one, did Jesus exist? That is, that is a very a valid question in our time, a question that, that comes up, did Jesus exist? Secondly, is Jesus God? So now you know where we're going. All right, let's jump into it. Let's first address those who say there really isn't any historical standard for Jesus. We call this the Jesus myth. They would call this the Jesus myth. And it's been very popular, I'd say the last 20 to 40, maybe 50 years, that, to say that Jesus indeed was a myth that he was borrowed from stories or from legends of people around his time period, that his disciples drew them in some sort of amalgam and, and brought this, this uh, figure of Jesus forward to create a new religion because maybe they were tired of the Jewish religion, that the historical Jesus wasn't true. And they bring people, uh, just to name a few, of Horus, who was Egyptian, of Mithras, uh, a Roman god, or Attis, etc. Um, no, etc. is not a god. That's others. Uh, just making sure you're on the same page here. But if you look at this, it, they take this Jesus myth and, and assign it, him, to others in history uh, from other writings. Now, how do we look at these? How do we qualify? How do we evaluate these stories? And I would, I would submit to you that as you start to look at these stories, uh, we'll look at the Christ conspiracy here in a moment, uh, one of the books have been written. As you start to examine these, you must come to something that historians are very quick to understand, this idea of primary sources. So if I were writing a story of maybe an American poet, uh, maybe, or maybe Wadsworth, or maybe we go to overseas, maybe Shakespeare, and if I only went back to um, those who have written about that poem or this person, this figure, in the last 50 years, I would not be going back to primary sources, especially for Shakespeare. No, instead, I need to go back to Shakespeare himself. What did he say about this poem, this sonnet? What did his contemporaries, those who lived among, how did they view it? 
if I want to understand what Shakespeare was thinking, if I want to understand what the poets are thinking, I need to go back to examine their writings and those who maybe talked with them, those who were their contemporaries. And as you start to look at this, the Jesus myth, and you start to evaluate those who have written the last 20 years, their scholarship only goes back about 50 years. They only go back to those who have written, they don't go back to any primary sources. Let me give you an example. This idea of Horus. Horus was an Egyptian god. We find record of him in the Book of the Dead. We find record of him in hieroglyphics. Uh, but the uh, Acharya S, whose real name was Murdoch, um, D. Murdoch, but she, Acharya is a, is a guru. And so she wrote under this, unfortunately for her, she died in 2015. As you look at this, you begin to unpack what she wrote, and she used no primary sources. So Acharya claimed that Christ, in the Christ conspiracy of the book, that Horus had 12 disciples just as Jesus did. But she does not quote an ancient scroll or a well-known Egyptologist or Egyptian sources. She goes back to the writings of Gerald Massey. And Massey doesn't himself cite any text, ancient or modern, to support it. In fact, when, um, when an Egyptologist came to him and said, where did you get your source? He said, I don't quite remember, but I remember reading it somewhere. He couldn't cite it. Well, there's no mention of 12 disciples for Horus, neither in the Book of the Dead or Hieroglyphics. In fact, the Hieroglyphics tell that he had only four followers, disciples. Um, it was a turtle, a bear, a lion, and a tiger. Only four, and uh, they were all furry. Well, except the turtle. Um, Mithras. So we see a lacking of scholarship here. Mithras. Uh, Mithras, Mithrism, was a mysterious, mysterious cult that was somewhere in AD, well, the first century to the fourth century. Um, it was practiced in the Roman Empire. Mithras was said to be born of a virgin on December 25th. Now, we won't go into the tale that most scholar, biblical scholars do not believe that Jesus was born on the 25th. It was a, a date that we have brought together as the day we celebrate his birth. But Mithras was not born of a virgin, as is claimed by some of the modern writers. Um, the actual story said he was born fully formed out of a rock. He had a dagger in one hand and a torch on another. I really don't think that qualifies. I mean, I'm not up on the reproductive properties of a rock, but I'm sure that that's not what qualifies as virgin birth here. Uh, shepherds did attend his birth. In the writings, they had to dig him out of the rock. And this doesn't sound like Jesus. This doesn't sound like anything like that. Did he have 12 disciples? Nope. In the Persian version of this, he had one disciple. In the Roman version, he had two. Was he buried in the tomb for three days and then arose from the dead? No. Uh, stories of Mithras had no uh, mention of his death. And so, but they draw a parallel of Horus, of, of Mithras. The problem with Mithras is the parallel there. Uh, the first ancient writings we have about this really mysterious cult didn't come until the, uh, the second century, after probably two centuries after the Gospels were being written. So they really couldn't borrow that. And it really isn't legitimate to say there are parallels. The Gospel writers would not have heard yet. Maybe they have heard, but they wouldn't have no ancient sources, to no contemporary sources for them, because 200 years it was started to be recorded. So you look at that. And it's, I think it's pretty safe to say that a 2nd century or 1st century Roman cult would not be the first thing that a, a set of Jewish believers would go to to, uh, um, to create a new religion, as some would say. 
out of Judaism. It would not be. They would uh, probably blanch at taking pagan customs or pagan uh, worship practices and, and add it to. In fact, you look through the, the beginning, those disciples of Christ, the early, early church, really followed much a great way the Jewish practices. You see in Acts of worshiping in the temple. So you look at this and you say there's, there's faulty scholarship. And in fact, I think the conclusion we can make from any of those Jewish uh, or these G, uh, Jesus myths is that there really is questionable scholarship. It, that the myths came either after the time of Christ and after the time of, of the writers or so contemporary that they would not have known them being in the same in, in Rome, not in the... Uh, in the time when the disciples were writing, Paul was writing. You look at this. But you know, there's, there's got to be more than just similarities. If you take the Jesus myth, there's just got to be di- something different than it's a similarity between Jesus. Um, as we look at this, there must be a causal connection. Uh, Mark Clark, in his book, The Problem of God, talks about the problem of comparisons. And two U.S. presidents, we have comparisons made because they're both killed in office, Abraham Lincoln and John Fitzgerald Kennedy. You look at those, and wow, there's some uncanny similarities. You look at this and say, well, um, Lincoln, both elected to Congress in 46, Lincoln 1846, JFK in, in 1946, both elected to the office of president in, in, the six, in 60, 1860 to 1960, both were shot from behind in the head. Lincoln, when shot in Ford's Theater, in box number seven, JFK was shot in car number seven. Um, JF, uh, Abraham Lincoln was, was shot in Ford's Theater, and, and JFK was shot in a, a Lincoln that was built by Ford Motor Company. And so there, could there be parallels? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But does that mean that JFK really didn't get shot, or he wasn't, didn't really exist? And so you can take parallels. There really must, and authors must show... Um, more than similarities, it must be a, a causal connection that Jesus did not exist if we are to believe them. It's interesting, uh, as, we, as you start to look through scholarship about Jesus, unfortunately, the uninformed, probably the internet off, uh, audience goes toward those videos and the, the recent books that do, don't conform to historical and scholarship the standards of those things. But even skeptics who do not believe that Jesus is God, the scholarly ones would say Jesus exists. Christopher Hitchens said what caused him to believe that there was a historical figure of Jesus was that it was not an elegantly formulated story, as you see in the New Testament. It, it had details that would be more elegant if they were left out or not included, but it was very nitty-gritty. Gritty. So he thought there probably was some, in his words, a deluded rabbi on which the story is based. Jesus did exist. Uh, Bart Ehrman, who's a noted skeptic, would be considered a scholar. Uh, he says, who, I mean, he doesn't accept the claims of Christianity, but he agrees that the Jesus of Nazareth is a historical figure who really existed. He says, writes this in Did Jesus Exist in his book. Um, watch with me, uh, even Richard Dawkins. I have a video here, and um, we're going to play it. He's an atheist, he's a skeptic, and I would say um, virulently anti-Christian. But let's see what he has to say. 
gives you hope, if it gives you happiness, that has nothing to do with whether it's true. That I agree with entirely. So, so we need to know uh, whether it's true. Yes. Now, um, when you look at history, and uh, let's, let's leave aside, maybe I, I, I alluded to the possibility that some historians think Jesus never exists. I take that back. Jesus existed. However, if you're going to say that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus walked on water, that he turned water into wine, that is palpably anti-scientific. There is no evidence for that. And if there were, you would be, well, I mean, no, there simply isn't any evidence for that, and no, no scientist could possibly take the idea seriously. I can make it worse for you. I know you can. Because Jesus actually came to be the Logos that created the whole universe. And if this is the creator incarnate, making water into wine and so on is really a triviality. The, the, the more fundamental thing is the fact that he claimed to be and gave evidence that he was God. When you say it's anti-scientific, I don't think it's anti-scientific at all. Science cannot say that miracles do not occur. It can say they're highly improbable. But nobody is claiming that these things occurred by natural processes. They, they occurred because God fed his power in. Nor did the whole universe, uh, if we look at it, occur in that sense by natural processes. God created, but we study all the natural processes within it. So when you say it's anti-scientific, I think it's not anti-scientific. What I mean by that is that if and when doing science, we constantly have to keep in mind that at any moment, there might be a little magic trick slipped in that would completely nullify the whole enterprise of science. Oh, I agree with that. But well, you that, see, but that's but what you're is, allowing them. No, no, I'm not allowing that at all. Because in order to recognize what the New Testament calls miracle, a special act of God, you must be living in a universe that has regularities and we recognize them. I agree with you entirely. Otherwise you wouldn't notice the miracles. But, that's yeah. exactly true. Yeah. You wouldn't recognize if dead people were popping up all over the place. You wouldn't think it was very special. But the fact is you need two things, not one. You've got to have regularities which we call the laws of nature, although they're not causes. They're in a sense descriptions that we can use. You also need to be able to recognize those so that, for example, when um, Joseph discovered that his uh, wife-to-be Mary was pregnant, he simply didn't believe her story. He was going to divorce her. He knew exactly where babies came from. He knew the regularity. It took very special convincing for him to realize that something extremely special had happened. But science cannot stop that. The question is, of course, did such a thing ever happen? And the central focus in the New Testament is not that, which is not so readily accessible to evidence, the virgin conception, but the resurrection of Christ. And ancient historians, and this has fascinated me recently going over it, ancient historians whose discipline is very venerable, and I'm not talking about Christian ancient historians, ancient historians, many of them, even at the skeptical end of the spectrum, say that the evidence for the resurrection of Christ is very powerful. The explosion of the Christian church from a non-proselytizing group of Jews in the first century, the empty tomb and all the rest of it. 
has even led Geza Vermesh, who's one of the most distinguished ancient historians in Oxford, to, to say, yes, this tomb was empty, and hallucinations and this kind of explanation do not wash. So, we have to ask ourselves, are we prepared to believe in historical testimony or not? We could close up and go home, but I have more. But you understand what's going on in, in scholarly um, research. Jesus existed. Whether you choose, him to, choose to believe that he is God, Jesus existed. And so, just to, to give you kind of follow-up on what he suggested to historians, is there non-Christian historical evidence of the existence of Jesus? There's 10 to 12 um, things, one, some of them, the, the 11 and 12 are not quite, we, we can draw inferences, but let me give you two or three of the, the more uh, common ones. of uh, The evidence that contemporary historians wrote, or contemporary people who lived, wrote of this Jesus and who he is. Tacitus. Uh, the historian Edwin Yamuchi calls probably the most important reference to Jesus outside of the New Testament. So um, Tacitus is, is reporting on Emperor Nero. He said Nero fastened uh, the guilt on a class, of hated, uh, class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition and Scholars say this, he's referring to the resurrection. Thus checked for a moment, again broke out not only in Judea, but the first source of evil, but even in Rome. Wow, this mysterious superstition that that Jesus rose from the dead. He says this accounts for what Nero did and, and the spread of Christianity. Pliny was a Roman governor. He's another important source of evidence of Jesus and Christ. And so, um, you can find his letter, uh, Pliny the Younger, to Emperor Trajan. And so he was a governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. One of his letters dated around eight, uh, AD 12, uh, 112. Sorry. He asked Trajan the advice about the appropriate way to conduct legal proceedings against those accused of being Christians. He says, um, and, and he's trying to, to figure out how to deal with this, because um, he said, uh, because a great multitude of every age, class, and sex stood accused of Christianity. At one point, he relates the information he had learned about him. He says, They were in the habit of meeting on a certain day fixed before it was light. And when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath, oath not to any, do any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, uh, never deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up. And after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, historical evidence, uh, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. It was not offering to idols, it was food together. Look, at the, they, they sang a hymn as, as if he were a god, this Christus, Josephus of the time. And there are two quotations from Josephus that are very similar. Um, they think the, the, the one, there's one that they think a Christian editor edited, but there's also an Arabic translation of Josephus of the same passage. And, and I'm going to give this to you here because it's, there's no really doubt on the scholarship of this. He said at this time, and Josephus was a Roman historian, a Jewish historian that wrote the Roman times, at this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. 
His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion, and that he was alive according he was perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. So you have this of Jesus' time, of those in that could even ask uh, those alive in Jesus' time. He not only existed, but our next contention that he was God. So the evidence leads us to the fact that Jesus existed, very simply. It leads us to that fact. Christians worship one who is, was alive at a certain time in historical history. So that's the first conclusion, that he did exist. And so I think it's safe to conclude from early sources that he existed. But it is not enough that you're going to, if you are to believe Christianity, that Jesus merely existed, but you look at what caused this sect of Judaism, as some would call it at the beginning, what caused it, as John Lennox said, to, to rapidly proselytize from a non-proselytizing people, the Jews. What caused that to happen? What made Jesus truly remarkable? What made him God? So the question, is he divine? Is he God? Larry Hurtado is a uh, New Testament scholar at the University of Edinburgh. He writes that, um, that the evidence shows that at an astonishing early point, basic convictions about Jesus amount to him being treated as divine. And they become widely shared in Christian circles. As you look at the evidence, they, from the beginning, thought Jesus was God. Early historians, and that's, that's important. His disciples, those who walked with him for his earthly ministry, believed him to be divine. <clears throat> now, if you work with someone, you see all of their flaws. If you live with someone, you see all of their flaws. You can quickly tell. These disciples, with nothing to gain in worldly, earthly standards, because almost all died a very ignominious death, they believed him to be divine. And they wrote this way. And they wrote, and it is important to understand, they wrote very soon after, 20 to 50 years after uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, they wrote these, these words that could be tested, that could be tried. So they wrote, well, also the, the Apostle Paul believed Jesus to be divine. Now, we, we talked last week that we can trust the Bible. So this week, I'm bringing more Scripture to bear, more than just outside historical uh, resources here, but more Scripture to bear on this subject, especially that Jesus is God. Paul represents Jesus uh, early and consistent as God. In fact, he wrote... Some of his earliest, First uh, Corinthians, probably the earliest book, uh, 50 to 52 A.D. And so barely 20 years after the life of Jesus, he writes with certainty. See, there are some that would say that Paul stole a Jesus from the disciples from the early time and made his own gospel through this. You hear, hear the record of Paul. <clears throat> it's, not, it's called the, the, the Paul's gospel theory in some other different language. But he writes contemporary to the gospel writers they would call him on the carpet. 
if he changed who Jesus was. He writes, and they read his words, and they agree. And every New Testament writer believes that Jesus was designed. They use the word Christ, Christus, Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. And the Old Testament, the, the Tanakh, the Jewish scripture, as they read this, this one who is the Christ, had, he was divine. He was the one, the Messiah sent from God, the anointed one. You New Testament writers use this designation for Jesus over 500 times. The only one who doesn't, the only uh, letter that doesn't is, is 3 John. And we already know, if you were with us in our study of 1 John, that Jesus, uh, John regards Jesus as the very Son of God, as Christ himself. But Paul writes, <clears throat> they use words uh, such as uh, Son of God, Galatians 4. Uh, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoptions as son. The apostle, the disciple John, as he writes um, toward the end of his gospel, he says, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples. They saw they were eyewitnesses, as he writes in his letters, his epistles later, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may may have life in His name. These writers of the New Testament, these gospel writers, they didn't just hint, they gave gave proof or recognition that Jesus was God. Romans 9.5, Paul writes calling Jesus the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. This is the one they worship. This is why the eminent Cambridge University New Testament professor C.H. Dodd states <clears throat> that anyone who should maintain that the primitive Christian gospel was fundamentally different from that which we have found in Paul, they must bear the burden of truth, of proof. So Paul's preaching represents a consistent preaching with the gospel writers, the other writers of epistles. But the question comes to us often is, did Jesus claim to be God? Did Jesus claim to be God? First of all, we have to understand uh, his culture. That in the culture in which he lived, um, it would have been verbally, to to state this verbally, it would have been blasphemous. And that his ministry would have been cut short had they caught him. But the interesting thing to note that throughout his life until... Um, till almost the very end, he did everything in the context of his culture in Jewish scripture to proclaim himself as God. We have a later reference of John 17 when he's praying to the Father in the presence of his disciples. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And in John 8, 52, 53, Verse 59, Jesus, the Jews said to him, Now uh, we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our prophet Abraham who died, they ask. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus claimed that he would never die. Anyone that keeps his word would not taste death. And Jesus answered and said, I, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. 
It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, then I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember in the, uh, with Moses in the burning bush? God tells Moses to go to, to Pharaoh, go to Egypt and say, let my people go. Charlton Heston and all that. Um, and Moses says, who? Who do I tell them that sent me? And he says, I am. These people know this. And here it is, before Abraham was born, I am. I existed. Pre-existent Abraham, some 2,000 years. So what was their response? They picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They recognized that he claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. John 20, 10, 22, earlier I and the Father are one. And again, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. He didn't come out and say, I am God. He said, I and the Father are one. Blasphemy. Before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I am. Blasphemy. They understood. And Jesus answered them after they took up stones, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which you, of them are you stoning me? And they say, Jesus, the Jews answered, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. We have another instance in, in Mark. <clears throat> He's on trial. He says he keeps silent and, and kept silent did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him. And saying to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? This was time. He's revealing himself in front of the the leaders. And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and tearing his clothes. The high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. You've heard it. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be stoned to death. And then Paul, in what some might have called an early Christian creed, um, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, one of the earliest epistles, he writes there, Now I make known to you, the brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which also you do stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you be in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was appeared to Cephas in the Twelve, and that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at once, at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Basically, go, go interview them. Go see. And so we have this here that I believe the evidence leads us to the fact that Jesus is God. That Jesus is not only not a myth, he existed historically, but he himself was very 
God. And the question is, when we see the evidence, is this. What will you and I do with the evidence? How will we respond? Will we ignore it? Will we pretend it's not there? Walk on away? Or will we come face to face with that evidence? And let it confront us and respond to that evidence. What will you do with Jesus? See, God has revealed himself in his son. He's revealed himself to be not only fully man, but fully God. God himself came, lived, and died to bear himself a willing sacrifice to, in the Jewish economy, to make atonement for our sin. What will you do with him? It's about for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are, for the message of Jesus. That yes, he existed, but more than that, the evidence points that he is God. Now, God, I pray that today, if there are those who are here who have not been confronted or they themselves have not confronted the evidence, to make a decision about not whether he exists or he is God, but whether they will follow him as God. I pray that today, that by your Spirit, the Spirit of God, that they would respond to the call of Jesus, the one who said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I pray if there's one who has not come to the point, as Paul writes in Romans, they've not confessed with their heart and with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and the confession of faith, if they've not come to that, I pray that today would be that day that they would throw themselves upon the grace of Christ for salvation. They would trust in faith, this one who has saved them. Oh God, I pray for believers that we who have been caught up in our daily lives, the things that are, are so calling to our, for our attention other than Christ, that we see yet once again our Savior, that we... We not only recognize who has bought us, we recognize that He indeed is God of our lives, that we have given ourselves to Him. He is our Master. May we serve out our days in praise and joy and thanksgiving to Him. May we not live for ourselves, but for this One who not only exists, but who is God. God, would you do a work in our hearts that words cannot do, but only you can do? Would you change us? Give us understanding today. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.